This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend just a bit of your September Sunday with us. We're going to be in a new series today, and we're asking some deep questions that at some point we all ponder these. All right, questions around meaning and significance, purpose and legacy. Does my life matter? Spoiler alert, yes. Yes, it does. Your life matters greatly. Okay, my life matters. Then we quickly ask after that, so what is my purpose? Why am I here? We have a deep longing to do something, to contribute, to add to the world, to add to the world in a way that is meaningful, that is good, that is beautiful, that is kind. We just celebrated Labor Day this past week, and I loved how one pastor used Labor Day to kind of reframe, to re-understand how we, under, how we look at work. He noted that work, labor, is one of the ways we carry God's image in us. We are called to create because we are designed by a God who created the universe. We're called to create because we are designed, just like God was, to create, to make something. We create like God did. We see God at work in the first few pages of the Bible, and God works all over Scripture. Not only that, we rest from work regularly. God rested on the seventh day after creating the world, the universe, and so we likewise should also rest from our work and our labor. Work was created before sin. Work was created before sin. Adam and Eve tended the Garden of Eden before the fall. Before brokenness, before sin, before death entered the world, there was work, there was purpose, there was meaning behind our creation. Our life matters. And we've had a purpose ever since God created us. In the new heaven and the new earth yet to come, we won't be singing in the clouds as some have it, but worshiping and co-laboring with God, worshiping and working with God in the ongoing act of making beauty. Work, meaning, purpose, they all existed before sin, before death, before brokenness entered the world, and they'll keep existing. After sin, brokenness, and death is gone, work, purpose, meaning is still there. We have this deep longing to do something, to add something, because God works and God made us to reflect God's image. So why do we struggle? Why do we struggle so hard and so long to find our purpose in the world? Why do we have such a hard time figuring out a satisfying and meaningful purpose? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time going back 3,000 years, and we're going to spend time with Elijah and Elisha, two prophets that worked out God's purpose in their own lives. Today, you can follow along in 1 Kings 18 if you want to, in your Bible, on your favorite device, or on the screen with me. Now, Elijah and Elisha, they are God's prophets. They were God's messengers in the nation of Israel. And they're trying to help Israel to live up to their true calling. Israel is supposed to be a nation blessed. And they weren't just supposed to be a nation blessed for themselves. Israel was to be a nation blessed to bless others. They were blessed by God to bless other nations around them. Now, in a world filled with gods upon gods, gods for everything under the sun, Israel was supposed to worship one God, very unique in their day, one God, this God named Yahweh. It's one of the Hebrew names 
for God. Now, typically, when you're reading your Bible and you run into this all capital Lord, that is usually the Hebrew word Yahweh, translates into Lord in English. Israel was supposed to stand out to worship this one true God and to bless other nations. A group of monotheists surrounded by polytheists, one God worshipers when everybody else worshiped other gods. They are supposed to be a light guiding others to the hope they have found in the Lord. But Israel had a hard time. Israel had a hard time living up to this calling. Many times they worshiped more than one God, and sometimes they just ignored Yahweh completely and did their own thing. By the time we get to Elijah's story today, he is the last prophet. He is the lone prophet of God. He is the last one following God in a country where everyone else seems to be following any other God but Yahweh. That had to be an incredibly lonely feeling. It can be incredibly lonely ourselves when we follow the Lord in groups that do not, among family that doesn't, among groups that might just be apathetic or even outright hostile to following the Lord. Now know this this morning, know this, that you, you are not alone. Feel it in your soul. You are not alone today worshiping God, following the Lord. You are not alone today. You're not alone in the thousands of years of history of following Yahweh. Elijah actually comes to find out after our story today that he wasn't alone either, that there were more than 7,000 people still following God. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings, starting in verse 17. Elijah the prophet is going to visit King Ahab of Israel. When Ahab saw Elijah, he exclaimed, So is it really you? You troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You, you and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. Now, it's nice leadership from King Ahab there, blaming Elijah for all of his troubles in the world when it's the king's own making. King Ahab chose to worship other gods who his wife followed and all kinds of trouble followed, including a famine in the land. Now, the path back, the path back to God is to start following the Lord again. And it is the church word repentance. It is to turn around. It can feel like bad news. I've got to confess and repent. But it really isn't. It is acknowledging that we were going in the wrong direction, we were going in the wrong way away from God, and now we're making a change, a 180-degree change to go back towards the Lord. Elijah has made no trouble. As a matter of fact, Elijah's got the way for the nation of Israel to get out of this mess that they find themselves in. Repentance. Now, Elijah has a challenge to see which God is truly worth following, Gather all of these prophets of other gods on this mountain, put a sacrifice on the altar, and the first god to send down fire from heaven to burn down that sacrifice, that's the god we're going to follow. The people of Israel, they are in trouble because they are following false gods. They are following idols. They are following something not worthy to be worshipped. In our scripture, we get a mention of two gods of the time, Baal and Asherah. The people grabbed onto an idol for many reasons, but one, idols could be seen. 
Idols could be physically seen. They were made of stone or bronze or gold, and the people could literally see the God that they worshipped. It was a tall ask to worship Yahweh, to worship God, because there were no images. God is spirit. Uh, God is not captured in an image and could not be captured in mere stone or gold or bronze. Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's no problem for me. I don't worship Baal or Asherah. I'm not tempted to do that. Don't worship idols. So I'm good this morning. Now, it's true. We probably don't have the temptation to worship Baal and Asherah in the 21st century. We still worship idols. We still worship idols. In the era we live in, we have idols. We just call them different names. Now, an idol is anything. It is absolutely anything that takes the center shaping spot of our life. Our idols aren't even always bad things in and of themselves. An idol literally can be anything from a relationship, a toxic relationship or a healthy one, to the security we get from a certain amount of money in our bank account. That is an idol. To fishing, to hunting, to baseball, to video games, to phone games, to our favorite political parties. Our idols are not Baal or Asherah. Our idols can be the Vikings, to the Cubs, to the Pheasant, to Candy Crush, to Among Us, to Biden, to Trump. Anything, absolutely anything that usurps the primary place of God in our life is an idol. And it can eat up the main purpose for our life. Idols can absolutely prevent us from seeing God's purpose in our life. Now, when we ask this question, what is my purpose, there are two answers. There's a general answer, and there's a specific answer. The general answer is true no matter what. No matter what stage of life we're in, no matter where we're living, there is an answer to this question that is true always. And there's a specific answer, too. There's God in my specific stage in life, so in my, while I'm going to school, while I'm working, while I'm in retirement, what is the specific thing you want, to do, want me to do? Elijah's specific purpose was to point people back to God, the one truly worthy to be worshipped. That was Elijah's specific purpose. Today, we're going to focus on the general answer. What is my purpose no matter what my stage is in life? What is my purpose in every season of life, no matter what's going on around me, God, what is my purpose? Our purpose is to make sure we're not grabbing onto idols and we're worshiping God instead. Our purpose is to make sure God is the primary shaping force in our lives and not any of my other hobbies, which are probably all fine and well and good, in their proper place. Our purpose, as Jesus put it so succinctly, is this. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That is our purpose. Regardless of whatever stage of life we're in, that's what we're supposed to do all the time from birth until death. Now, in Matthew's recording of that text, by the way, when Jesus says, Lord, he is saying Yahweh. He's saying you must worship Yahweh, the same God that Elijah is talking about. So today, it's time for an idle check this morning. It's time for an idle check, not the idle speed sensor on your automobile, although those are good to check too. This is an idle check in your life. Have any relationships moved into that center place of God in your life? Have any hobbies knocked God off the center seat? 
Have any habits or addictions replaced the pursuit of God? Now, if so, it's time to turn around. It's time to name it, turn around, and go in a new direction. It's time to repent. Now, there are a number of ways to do an idol check in your life. The f- I'll give you a couple this morning. Now, the first is this top three priority list you've probably seen before. Uh, people explain how they kind of filter things through their life, and they'll give you this top three list. The first thing in their life is God. They want to follow God in all that they do. Second, they prioritize their primary relationships. You know, it's your people. It might be your family, your friends. Those relationships come in a close second. And third is your vocation. It's school, work, job, service. So all your decisions, your schedule gets filtered through that, and you say, how am I doing making this list a reality? No matter what, your day, your schedule, it gets prioritized by this. So if you find so much of your time and energy focus on something that is not God, you might very well have an idol problem. Now, a lot of people find this helpful. I find it limited because there's simply times that those relationships have different areas of focus and emphases in your life. There are times a work or a school trip has to come before time with your primary relationships. I find this hub and spoke image more helpful. Now, when God is the hub, things are right, they're in the right balance, and they're in the right place. And that doesn't mean at different times everything gets a different focus. So when we're working on a large project or at school or at work, then we're focusing more on our vocation. When we're celebrating a significant milestone with friends or family, there's more time going into the relationship bank. When we take a trip to invest in one of our passions or our hobbies, more time goes over there, and that's okay. Everything gets a little different focus at times. They get bigger and smaller as things evolve, but what doesn't change What doesn't change is that God is the hub of it all. God's the center, the gathering focus. Everything is in balance because God is still the center as all the other stuff shifts in your life. Now, things get out of whack, as they did for the Israelites in Elijah's time when idols took the hub space. Idols are not designed for that seat for God. Idols are not designed for us to build our lives around them. They cannot handle it. Idols cannot do that. Human relationships cannot be in the center. Our hobbies can't be there. Our hobbies cannot sustain the deep questions we've got around significance and meaning and purpose and legacy. But God can. God can handle those questions, and Jesus can handle them. Jesus can help us live out our all-time purpose to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as well as love our neighbors as ourselves. That has life-sustaining and life-giving power. That gives us meaning and hope and purpose. It helps us to figure out what our specific purpose might be in this given season, in this given moment in our life. So today, do an idle check. Have we completely gotten out of the habit of spiritual disciplines, of worship attendance, of prayer, of scripture reading, of groups and service? That is a huge red flag. That is a huge red flag to see if something else has taken the place of God in the center of our life. Today, make one change. Confess and acknowledge that something else took that center seat and take one step. Make one step to make a change. Add prayer back into your routine. Make regular worship attendance or community a priority. Make meeting 
Jesus and Scripture a priority. You don't have to do it all immediately. Take one thing. Take one thing and put it back into the center of your life. Because we can still so easily place a 21st century idol in that center spot. But it's easy to get back to God. It is as easy and as simple as turning around and going a new direction. That's repentance. That's what the word means. Every day, may we remember the words of Jesus as the primary purpose for our lives. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our purpose. Now, in our story, Elijah lays out this challenge for 850 prophets of other gods to see which god is going to burn up the sacrifice of a bull first. Now, this is a very foreign thing to us. We are 3,000 years separated. 3,000 years ago, animal sacrifice, that was a common worship practice. Well, it's not anymore. It gives you kind of a glimpse into what life was like following God in ancient Israel. Animal sacrifices then. Now today, we have sacrifices of song in worship, of prayer, of scripture, of monetary offerings, and our very lives, our very selves, we offer to God as a sacrifice. Every day, we give ourselves in service to God. Friends, we are living sacrifices to God. It's how the author of Romans, Paul, the first century church planter, puts it. He writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for us. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you'll learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, I love the author who wrote, The problem with living sacrifices, the problem with you and me, is that we crawl off the altar. We can choose to not make God the center of our lives, and then we go do something else instead. The problem with living sacrifices is we crawl off the altar and we lose focus on our purpose in the here and now. Our purpose is making God the center, the hub in our life with no idols at all. And then we're going to find our purpose. We'll find both our general purpose for all time and our specific purpose in the fall of 2002, what we're supposed to do in this season we're in. We're not only going to find our purpose, but we're going to find ourselves fully alive. We become fully alive as we live as God has designed us to live. Today, we are the sacrifices. We are the ones, like Elijah, trying to point people back to God, to live out Jesus' call, to love God, and to love people, and to love ourselves. If we love people like we love ourselves, that means we've got to love ourselves. We must love self in a good and healthy way, in a way that says, I am loved, I am worthy, I am enough. Because Jesus says that about you. Jesus says, you are loved, you are worthy, you are enough. Make God the center, the hub of your life. It's going to help us live lives that are fully alive. Brene Brown, the author and scholar, she puts it like this. She says, wholehearted living is about engaging with our lives 
from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, the compassion, the connection to wake up every morning and think, no matter what gets done today and no matter what gets left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect, I am vulnerable, I am sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth. I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. Now, in order to do this, in order to feel this, in order to absorb this deep into our bones, though, we've got to make a choice. We've got to choose to make God the center of our lives. Elijah lays it out for the Israelites then, and it's still the same for us today. Ahab summons all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. Elijah knows split loyalties don't work. We can't follow God and Baal, God and Asherah, God and the security of our bank account, God and our appearance, God and our title at work, God and that toxic relationship, God and that deep need to stay comfortable when God is telling us to take that step, to take the risk, to try something new, a class, a group, a mission trip, somewhere to serve. Split loyalties, friends, do not work. My wife and I recently received the knowledge that our eighth grader is eligible to get her learner's permit very soon. That is a shocking day when you do not see that coming as a parent. Now, I remember thinking back to when I was learning to drive, and I did the driving school where you've got the guy sitting next to you. He's got his own uh, wheel and pedals, you know, ready to take the wheel in case I do something crazy. There are a few times when we were driving, I noticed we were slowing down faster than I intended to. The problem with me, and it's still not a problem, is that I was never not going fast enough. I was always going fast enough. I was never slowing down soon enough. Never slowing down soon enough. So many times he's hitting the brake harder for me to slow down. And it was annoying. It was annoying to think that you were in control, but not really. Two drivers in one car does not work well when they've got different intentions and different destinations. Two drivers do not work, nor does split loyalties in our faith, friends. God wants us to fully surrender to Jesus, the one who tells us we are loved, we are worthy, we are enough, the one who takes us on a journey of holiness, a people set apart, and a journey of wholeness to be the people of God that God has created us to be, people fully alive, and idols cannot do that. Idols want us to remain addicted, to remain distracted, to remain stuck in destructive patterns, to remain in toxic relationships that have no concern for us to be fully alive. God and idols cannot exist together. Friends, we find our purpose in life by keeping the main thing the main thing, following Jesus to love God fully, to love neighbors and to love ourselves. And we must name our idols and leave them on the altar. We must name them. We've got to name them, the thing that's taken that center spot in our life. Repent and go in a new direction. Go in a direction toward Jesus. Jesus is never far from us. 
Jesus is right behind us waiting, always, one step behind, ready to receive us when we turn around to go in a new way. Now, the action on Mount Carmel that day so long ago, it proceeded very slowly. The 850 prophets of the other gods, they pray, they dance, they call out to their gods to burn up the sacrifice on the altar. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. They do this all day. At one point, Elijah injects a little 3,000-year-old smack talk into the events. At about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or he is relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip, or is asleep and needs to be awakened. Maybe your god is in the bathroom. Classic burn. Now, all, the, all these prophets go all day praying for the sacrifice to be burnt up. Nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. Elijah goes to work, and he lives out his purpose of pointing people back to God to help them make God the center, the hub, the focus in their life. So he calls the people over, and the first thing he does, he rebuilds an altar to the Lord that had been torn down. Then he takes 12 stones, one up for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, places them there. Elijah points them back to God by rebuilding an altar, a worship practice that had been destroyed, and by reminding them of their story. This is who you are, the God who rescued these tribes, the God who worked with these 12 tribes. He's reminding them of who they are. Then he goes for some dramatic flair. He has people dig a trench, and he fills it with water. Then he takes more water and he douses the sacrifice in water and the wood near the sacrifice in water. And he does this a couple of times. Everything is soaking wet. Elijah wants the people to see what this God can really do. And then Elijah waits. He waits for the regular time of evening worship, of evening sacrifice. He again is trying to get the people back to these patterns to remember who they are and what God has called them to do. Then, at the time of evening worship, he says a very simple prayer and asks God to prove that he is the God in Israel and answer him. Immediately, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, even licked up all the water in the trench, and when all the people saw it, they fell face down to the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah didn't have to cry out all day or dance or cut himself like the other prophets did. Elijah reminded the people who they are, reinforced ancient worship practices, and said just a simple prayer. And immediately, the soaking wet sacrifice is God. Which God do you think the people followed after this? The God who created us. The God who gave us purpose and meaning. The one revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. Who calls us to love God with all that we are. To love our neighbors. And to love ourselves. What is our purpose? No matter the season of life. Love God. Love people. Love self. That's our purpose. That's our call. 
we must regularly do an idle check. What thing, what relationship that might be all well and good has unthrown God in your life? Name the idol. Name the idol and put, back, put God back in the center. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess there are times that idols have removed you, that have removed you from the center of our lives. So we confess and repent. We repent. We want to go into a new direction towards you, towards your son, the one who can handle and give us answers for the deep questions of meaning and purpose, significance and legacy that we have. May your Holy Spirit empower us to take just one step to do one thing, to head back towards you. It's in our resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.